we live a life of faith over fear, right? Because no matter what you're projecting, what we all know is in our hearts, we all struggle, we all battle with that wrestling match of choosing faith or fear. And I know there's all kinds of struggles that have walked into this room. And I know there are, are things that you're dealing with and there's things that no one else in the whole world knows except for you and the Lord. But we want to talk about that today and just uh, share uh, what God would have for you. And today, if you're a note taker, you can go ahead and title today's sermon to see as God sees. That God wants you to see as he sees. And for seven weeks, uh, I'm fired up. Uh, I did not preach the last two weeks, so I hope you got the memo that you brought a snicker bar with you, right? Um, I've been really geared up this week and ready to go. But uh, the next seven weeks, we're going to answer these two questions. Number one is this, how do I live a life of faith? How do I live a life that's characterized that that man or that woman uh, loves the Lord and lives a life of faith, that they, they are just confident in who they are and where they're going? How do I live a life of faith? And the second question is this, as we pursue a life of faith, how do we live a life that we continually take next steps of faith over fear? When fear rears its ugly head and difficult situations come in front of us, of how do we continually take next steps to choose God and to choose faith over fear? All right? And we're going to be looking specifically at David and how he uh, walked through a season of facing Goliath. But before I get started, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, if you will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you that you brought us here. God, thank you that you're sovereign, you're in control. God, Romans 8, 28 says this, for you work all things for the good of those uh, that love you, God, that have been called according to your purpose. God, thank you for that truth that we wake up every day, Father, and we don't have the keys. Father, we're not in control, you are. And God, I'm so grateful for that, that the weight of the world doesn't hang on me. God, that it's not all about me, but God, that you are in control. God, thank you for that. Lord, thank you for the time we've had already. God, I, I just want to say thank you for every person here today. I'm very thankful that they would spend some time with us. Uh, Lord, in this time, I pray that you would just move in a powerful way. God, that you would begin to do what only you can do. You would open up our hearts and our minds uh, to speak to us through your word. God, I'm, I'm so ill-equipped to do that, God, but the Holy Spirit in me has equipped me. And God, I pray right now that if there's any distraction in me, any selfish in me, anything that's about me, God, I pray right now you would remove it. Father, that you would let me be an obedient servant to your word, God, that I would deliver the message, and God, that it would fall with power and truth, Lord. God, you're so faithful. Lord, I pray for this in faith, and God, just thank you for mothers. Thank you for, uh, for, for all that they, they do, and God, for, um, for the design you created. God, you, you made mothers, and God, they're a good gift from the Lord. And God, Lord, we just say thank you for that. And God, I just pray in this time that you would just move, Lord. We depend on you, Lord. I depend on you. I need you. In thy name, amen. Amen. All right. So go ahead and turn, like I said, uh, to 1 Samuel 17. And for the next seven weeks, we're going to be walking through this text. So what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes to set up, really uh, just bring you into the story of David and Goliath. Now, how many of you have heard the story of David and Goliath? We're going to get hands everywhere, right? Like, even if you weren't in Sunday school, everybody loves to uh, watch this peewee team who's 0-7, right? And they're going out to play this other peewee team who's 8-0, that their dads got together with all the good kids that could pitch, right? And they got them all on the same team. And what does the 0-7 coach go? He, he rolls it out and he's like, hey, man. David and Goliath, and I've been on an 0-7 farm club team, and I remember thinking, you are lying through your teeth right now, coach. We're about to get crushed. But uh, 
But anyway, I, I really want to bring us into the perspective. And one thing that I love studying the Bible is so many times we read the Bible and it's like we're looking at mythical characters, like they're like not real people. And the reality is, and I love, I'm going to go a little country on you, is that David put on his britches just like us, right? One leg at a time. He drew the same breath that you draw. Goliath in the same way. Big monster from Gath, these people from Gath, they were huge. But the reality was these were real people. So I want to bring you into the scenario that this is a real story, real people that walked the earth just like you and I, okay? So I'm excited about that, and I'll teach a little bit, and I'll, I'll stop, and we'll hit a couple points. And what I really want you to see today, though, is this, is I want you to see how God sees. I want you to see how God wants you to see. Think about that over and over. So we'll start in verse 17, chapter 17, verse 1. It says this, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokoh in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon uh, between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines accompanied one hill and the Israelites the other with the valley between them. So let me stop and for, I don't know how much biblical background we've got uh, in the room, so I, I just want to break this down. Uh, on one hill are the good guys, and one hill are the bad guys, okay? The good guys being the Israelites, the chosen people of God, and the Philistines being those that are defying uh, the army of the living God, all right? So we've got two hills, they're going to battle in a valley. So picture it, all right? Two different camps, and they're going to go to battle with each other in the valley. Now, verse 4. It says, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Let me stop right there. That's nine feet tall, okay? That's like the biggest Samoan you know on steroids, all right? This dude is huge, okay? Six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor, a bronze weighing about 5,000 shekels. On his leg, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. It's about 15 pounds of, a, of a, 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 what he would throw, okay, his, his, um, his spear. And then it says his shield bearer went ahead of him. Now, I, I want to stop there for a second. That's four verses. Like I said, there's 66 books in the Bible. God gave us 66 books. I don't know how many words. Uh, I'm a pastor. I probably should look that up, okay? I don't know. I can't tell you. But look what God decided to do. He decided to give us four whole verses to describe how bad of a dude Goliath was, right? That's not by accident, okay? This is an insurmountable enemy. This is an enemy that God took four verses. He didn't just say he was a big giant dude, but he took four verses to show us all the armor he had, his sheaves, his spear, and armor bearer that went before him. He took the time to tell us this is an insurmountable foe. This is a big dude, okay? So I want you to think about it. And throughout this, uh, this series, I want you to think about Goliath as the biggest enemy in your life. I want you to think as Goliath as the biggest trial, the thing you struggle with, the thing that, that rears its ugly head, all right? I want you to see that as Goliath, the biggest, the baddest, something you know you cannot conquer on your own, okay? Something you cannot conquer on your own. It's very evident that that's what the Lord is doing here is he's saying this is an insurmountable foe. This is a huge man. And some of you today, you walked in with, with struggles, with doubts, with worries, with insecurities, with, with, with hurt, deep anxiety, fear, all right? 
And it's insurmountable. It's something you have to stare in the face every day. I know because I stare at those same things. I stare at those same enemies. So throughout this series, I want you to see Goliath not as the nine-foot man, but see him as the enemy inside, the one who rears its ugly head with all sorts of things. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. It says, Goliath stood, right, nine-foot giant, and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and I kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. All right? It won't take long, but hear this. Saul, I mean, uh, uh, Goliath basically came out and said, hey, y'all want some? Right? Let's put it very simple. Y'all want a piece of this? You, you want a tango with this guy? Right? I think about the movie Troy. You ever seen Troy? And that big monster dude goes out there. You know, it would have been cool if Israel could have dialed up Brad Pitt, you know, got him up out of that bed and come up there and took care of business. But he basically said, y'all want some of this? Y'all are supposed to be the armies of the living God and just the mighty Saul's your, your leader. Come get you some, right? Sorry to talk so plain, but man, I, you know, that's, that's what he's doing. And so now let's change the narrative right here, verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite, all right? So let's zoom out. We're about to focus on the one we're going to focus on for the series is David. It says, now David was a son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war, okay? So Jesse had three sons that went off to war with Saul. It says the firstborn was Eliab, the second was Abinadab, and the third, Shema. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So we see three older brothers going out to the battle lines, doing their, their due diligence for their country. And then we see a younger man, probably age 15, 16, I believe, um, staying back to shepherd his father's flock, all right, the lowly position of a, of a sheep herder or a shepherd, all right, hanging out with his dad, kind of going back and forth, okay? And so we kind of see the scene and I want to talk about. Underline, highlight, focus, verse 16, and this will be the first thing I want to talk about. It says, for 40 days, okay, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand, all right, with the same response. Uh, number one is this, I want you to hear this, is have you come in here defeated, okay? Have you come in here defeated? That defeat has become the normal in your life. That when the enemy shows himself, that defeat has become who I am. And, and y'all, I want you to think about that deep darkness, whatever it is inside of you, whatever it is you struggle with, that worry. Um, some of us, I know, uh, it's, it's pride, right? I'm, I'm so, I, I know this because I've experienced this. Is I'm, I, I want to prove myself. I want to mount up to something. I want people to see that I've made something of myself, that I've made it to find my place here in this community or find my place here on earth. Maybe some of you, what it is is marriage, that I can't make this thing work, and every day it's just not good, and this is just what it's going to be. 
It's just what it's going to be. Maybe for some, and I'm, I'm going to speak into my heart, especially my 18-year-old heart, it's worry. That this, everything is crashing down around me. Every day I wake up and I'm, I'm lost. I worry. I don't know what's going to happen in this life. Maybe for some, it's approval. That if someone would just notice me, I would feel secure. I would be good. If they would just talk to me more, if they would notice me, if they would see what I'm doing, they would, they would, if they would just get behind me, I'd be better off. And may, maybe that's a defeat you wake up to. It's like, man, I, I, I just struggle with that so much, and I don't know how to fight it. Maybe for some, it's finances, right? Maybe for some, it's something that just never goes away. You wake up, and it's there day after day after day after day. It's something I worry about. Am I going to make it? Are we going to make it here? What's this going to look like? How is it going to turn out? Or, you know, maybe it's, it it's, could be a number of things, but here's the deal, that life has just been defeat. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? That life is just defeat, that it's become the normal, that this is, this is just what life's going to be. I'll always be this. I'm always going to struggle with that. I'll always wonder where I'm at with my faith. I'll always wonder this, or man, golly, like it's, this, is, this life is miserable. But see, here's the thing I would tell you. God doesn't want that for you. See, the course of your life from this point, coming into this room today, does not have to define what God wants to do through you moving forward. I want you to understand that. That God does not, does not meant for this life to just be dread and misery, but rather incredible joy. Not easy all the time, but incredible joy. And this is what I want to talk about through this series is this. I'm not going to tell you that God can make the Goliath disappear. I'm not going to lie to you, okay? I wish I could just say, if you'll put your faith in Christ, Goliath's going to, he's going to run and hide behind the Philistines. It's not true. But this is what I would promise you, okay? And what I will promise you is this, is that God will give you the power to conquer your Goliath. And here's the thing, to get you ready for the next one. Amen? God will help you conquer the Goliath and get you ready for the next one. And the second thing is this, God will change the way you see Goliath in your life. God will change the way you see the trials and the struggles. And I want to back this up a little bit. Turn with me to James chapter 1, real quick. I want you to change the way you see the trials of your life. And I hope, y'all, I'm the, uh, God has called me, and uh, he, <laughs> uh, I love telling this story as I flip there. And I'm going to try not to get emotional. My two uh, boys graduated from high school. For those that don't know, you're thinking, man, you got started early, right? Um, but my two boys graduated from high school yesterday, and so dad doesn't do good with change all the time. So I'm dealing with some emotions and trying to really swallow that and, and take that truth in. Um, but what I would say uh, is that God is right there where you're at, okay? And he knows every trial you're walking through. He knows every difficulty, and God is faithful. God is faithful. And I want to show you a little something here in James chapter 1. We'll be in verses 2 through 4. James is the half-brother of Jesus. He didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah until Jesus did what, uh, what only he can do. He resurrected from the dead, right? So Jesus is like, hey, brother... Uh, I'm the Messiah, the one they prophesied over. And he's like, dude, I watched you get birth. What are you talking about? In fact, James thought he was crazy, all right? And then, like, when your brother, like, dies and then he comes back to life, okay, all right, you're in. You're, he's legit. He meant what he said, okay? And then he wrote a book, and uh, it's in the Bible. So hear this, and I want to talk first to the believer, and then I'll talk to those that maybe don't know where you're at with the Lord. Verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials 
of many kinds, difficulties, tough situations. Verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. All right, hear that again. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance anything. Now you're going to stop and say, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now you're going to stop and say, Pastor, you don't know my trials, brother. You don't know what I'm struggling with. You don't know what I'm dealing with. And here's the thing. Those trials in your life, as difficult as they are, weren't meant to push you away from God. You might want to write this down, you note takers. Not to push us away from God, but to draw us to God. All right? Hear that again. Trials in your life were not meant to push you from God, but believer, to draw you to God. Those in surmountable enemies, those situations where there's no light, God steps in to the hopeless situations and he brings hope. He does things that only he can do. See, God puts the Goliath in our life to draw him, draw us to himself. And what we have to see is this, those that are in covenant relationship with the Lord that know Christ, he is your father. He is your father and he sees you as your child. And so many times, he, he, the trials are there to say, why are you leaning on your strength? Come to me. He wants to be with you. And I know that's hard to believe, but brother, sister, he wants to be in relationship with you. I got to see this tangibly this week, all right? I want to tell you a little story if you got a few minutes. Uh, I have a two, soon-to-be three-year-old. Her name's Bella, all right? She's probably crying and taking your kids' toys and getting in trouble right now as we speak in Connection Kids. Her grandmother's nodding her head like, if they only knew. Uh, but I want to tell you something. She's what you would be called a three-nager. Y'all ever heard of one of those? But I don't like, she's not even a three-nager. She's like a three, 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 32-year-old, all right? She's like her mom. Her mom was, I swear, she was birthed out of the womb and she was like, like came into the world 32. I've never seen anything like it. Like she's been grown up since she was four, okay? And so... Bella, what she is, is extremely independent. That Bella wants to do everything on her own. Absolutely everything. Drives her father absolutely, makes me want to hit my head against the speaker right here. Drives me absolutely nuts. Now, Grandma, you tell me the truth and tell me if I'm lying. But the other day, I'm, it's a Thursday. I try and wrap up all my work on Thursday so I can invest in my family for the next couple of days, all right? And so I'm excited and I show up to Grandma's house. I'm going to get my little girl. We're going to go play and hang out. And y'all, when I get there and I say it's time to go, she threw an absolute, I'm talking about it. Y'all think y'all seen a fit? I mean, this girl was like screaming and kicking her legs like that whole deal. You ever seen it like in Walmart when the kids start doing that and it gets real awkward? And it's like, y'all going to spank that kid or, or what? Somebody going to, you know what I mean? And so it's one of those moments, right? And, and she just does not want to go with me. And I'm like her dad. I'm like, I'm your dad. Like, what is wrong with me, you know? I'll shave the beard, whatever it is, I'll do it. And so she gets in the car, and she kind of calms down a little bit, and then uh, she literally gives me the silent treatment at three. Like, she quit crying, and then she's like, I'm like, Bella, and she does this number. Bella, baby, what would you like to do? I mean, she just jerks her head, she's giving her dad the silent treatment. I'm like, baby, like, come on, let's hang out. And so we go to my parents' house, and we get a snack, and we, we eat this snack in silence like we're married or something, you know. And uh, so we're both looking at each other. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, how, what can I do? And so her dad, in the middle of May, 60-degree uh, pool water, I'm like, hey, baby, why don't we go swimming? And, man, that's the, that's the game changer right there. I'm in, bro, you know. And so uh, I go to try and put her bathing suit on. She said, I do it myself. I do it myself. Quit, Daddy. And 
So, of course, I don't get to help her do that, and so we're still on bad terms. And so she puts on her, uh, yeah, that's sad. Isn't it? Anyway, uh, she puts on her bathing suit, and we go out there, and I'm like, hey, well, let me help you in the water. And I do it myself. I do it myself, Daddy. I got it. And so what changed the game is what? She hopped in that freezing cold pool, right? She hops in and she gets out. Daddy, 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 hop in. And so she's freezing to death. And so I hop in. I'm like, Bella, I mean, it's freezing. All right? And so this daughter who wanted nothing to do with me, she's like, hold me, daddy, hold me, hold me. And so I hop in and we're both swimming around together. And then I kind of let her go. I want to help her paddle a little bit and do some things on her own. And Y'all, when she lost her dad's touch, when she couldn't feel my hand anymore, like she, she freaked out. She wanted me close. She wanted to feel my, my hand. She wanted her to know that her dad was close so she wouldn't sink, right? And so this daughter that wanted nothing to do with me, now we're holding hands in the pool, and I'm just loving it. Don't think it gets any better. Like we're having a good time. And, and finally, it's, uh, it, it's getting a little longer. She's, Daddy, I'm for, 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 for freezing. And uh, so it's time to get out. And so we, we hop out of the pool and... Sure enough, a huge gust of wind comes by, and like that 60-degree pool now feels like 45, okay? And so she's like, help me, help me, Daddy, help me, and help me get my bathing suit off. So we, we get her bathing suit off, and I wrap her up like a cocoon in the towel, and I bring her like right here to my face, and we're rocking, and it's just me and her, and she's smiling, and she's right here close. I know, right? Anyway, Mom's is sweet. And uh, anyway, so I've got her right here close to my arms, and she's just like, Daddy, I love you, you know? And everything changed, and I've got what I wanted, my little girl right here close to my heart and talking to her. But here's the deal. What brought Bella close to my heart? The cold pool. The trial of being in the pool all by herself. The freezing cold water. The cold wind. It was the trials that made her look to what? To look to her father. God, I need you. So understand, brother or sister, that you know, God didn't put that in our hearts for any reason that we love our kids the way we do is that he put it there because he wants to be in relationship with you. He doesn't want you to walk through that giant and walk and face that giant on your own, but rather he's like, listen, I've, I've been conquering these things for thousands of years. I've been absolutely faithful to my people since I, I put this whole world together. In fact, when when you guys, when man messed it up, I made a plan that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this fractured, fractured world back to myself. That I love you enough that I want to be with you. And I learned from my daughter today that it's the trial oftentimes that God makes us turn around. Right? Haven't you found that to be so evident in your life? Haven't you found that to be true? Those that know Christ? And I want to speak to another camp right here. Maybe you've come in here today and just a relationship with Christ is just a fuzzy subject. I don't really know where I'm at. Or maybe it's outright, um, I want to check this Jesus thing out, but I don't really know how it works. I want to tell you something. We're excited you're here. I went so long of my life that I thought coming to church meant I've got it all together. Like I'm like you, like these perfect people with these perfect khakis come in, right? And like it's all right. And man, I was so insecure because I wasn't okay. And I, I didn't feel like I fit, you know? I didn't feel like I fit in. And for so long, I ran from God because I didn't have a true look at who he was because I, I, I didn't see Jesus through this. I just saw like these people and I didn't, I didn't see the picture. But I want to tell you something. I want to speak to you too. God is a good father. He's a good father. And maybe today that there's, there, maybe you've come in here and there's so many Goliaths in your life that you're out of places to turn, right? Like not only is there one, but they're, if I'm going to go right, they're here. If I'm going to go left, 
I'm here. I've tried everything this world has to offer. I'm going to turn back this way. And all of a sudden, this life has encircled you. It has closed in on you. That finally, like, I've got to have answers or I'm going to lose it. Right? That I don't have the answers. And see, here's the deal. God does that that eventually he, you're going to run to the end of yourself and see that there's nothing this world has to offer to fill that void in you. Ecclesiastes 3.11, one of my favorite verses says this. It says that God put eternity in our hearts, right? That means we fathom to feel that void, that longing. God put that in our hearts. No man can understand it. It's like this. Maybe you've been running in the yard, and, and I don't know if you've ever seen three or four-year-olds, but if you say don't go in the, in the road, where are they all going to go? Right to the road, Right? And God's the same way. He gives us 66 books to say, uh, you want to find purpose, fulfillment, I've given it to you. I've got it. I want you to know me because that's where you're going to feel that void. But what do we do? We go just the other way. We're running to the road. Instead of running home, I'm thinking about my front yard. If you run forward, you're going to the road. If you turn around, you're running back home. But what do we do? We run. We run toward the road, right? And God's like, don't. I've got it right here. Don't do it. Don't do it. What's going to happen in that road? Destruction. Death, nothing good, right? And so tell me this, is God, a, is God a good father when he starts yelling and deafening yell in your ears, don't do it, right? It hurts your ears to hear it. Is that a bad father? That's a good father. If you can't turn when he's calling you, he's talking to you, he takes out his old kickball and he rolls it and knocks you down, right? That's kind of funny to me. Anyway, but imagine God's doing everything he can to stop you from going into the road. And some of you know these roadblocks that come up. Next, he puts up a fence. And what do we do? We try and crawl over the fence. We scrape our knees. We fall on our head. And God's like, stop. Just stop. Be with me. I love you. Come to me. Be with me. That's a good father. Amen? That's a good father. And so maybe today there's Goliath in your life that he wants you to see that, look, Stop looking at the Goliaths and say, it's a bad God that's given me to me. It's a good God that's put them in your place. It's a good God that's put them in front of you. Why? Because he wants you to turn to him. Amen? I'm sorry, y'all. That's truth. All right? That's a good father. That's truth. Somebody needs to hear that today. Y'all wait? Y'all good? Right? Amen. So we have to see this. Remember, we're changing the way God wants us to see is that we have to see the struggles and trials that God has designed them to draw us to himself. God has designed, the most I've grown in my life as a Christian, I lost one of, one of the most, I lost my uncle tragically. And that's as close to God. That's some of the most intimate times with the Lord I've had. And that God is in the mess. God is in the struggle. He's in the trial. He's right there with you. He's in the trenches. He meets you in the mess. In the ugliness of life, stepping onto the battlefield, God is present. I want you to turn back with me to 1 Samuel 17. I know we've gone all over the place. I'm going to bring us back into the narrative. First Samuel 17. I'm in 2 Samuel. Good preacher I am. Anyway, um, I want you to look. Uh, pick up with us in verse 17, okay? We're going to finish this text, and I want to talk to you a little bit about perspective. Uh, verse 17, it says, Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take 
people along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So dad says, son, go take some food to your brothers. Okay, simple. All right, verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Remember, 40 days this has been going on, and now we see a shepherd boy coming in to the situation. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines and facing one another. David left his things. Watch David right here. He left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his battle lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it, all right? Remember, the young boy, the shepherd boy, the first time he's seen this narrative, what's been going on for 40 days... And it says, whenever the the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Y'all, that's a sweet deal. Amen? Is that not sweet? How bad is Goliath? Hey, man, you can marry my daughter, right? I've got a daughter. Like, that's not, no, heck no. Be some ugly mug go out there and do it. I ain't doing that. But I'll give you my daughter. You ain't got to pay taxes no more. And I'm going to give you this great treasure, all right? That's a sweet deal. And now I want you to look. Now perspective's about to change, and I'm going to just write this down. What did Saul see? Saul saw an insurmountable enemy. He was focused on the enemy. Saul was focused on the enemy. You might want to write that down. Saul was focused on the enemy. And this is today what I want to talk about uh, for the last little bit of our time. Verse 26. Remember, shepherd boy, first time coming into this situation. See what David has to say. It says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? Now, listen. Who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel. Look what David's looking at. This disgrace from Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Imagine, David walks up on the scene and he's like, he sees this dude barking out orders against the armies of the living God, the God who has parted the Red Sea, the God who has delivered uh, the people of God from the enemy from ages before. And he says, what are you going to do about this? Right? This guy defies the armies of the living God. He calls him a disgrace. He calls him an absolute disgrace, an uncircumcised Philistine like he is daggum chump change, right? Like the kid that bats ninth in the order. I don't know why I'm talking about baseball so much today. Anyway, but David comes into this situation, all right? And this is what I want you to take from this. Perspective changes everything. Hear that? You want to write that down. God wants us to see as he sees. Your perspective changes everything. Your perspective changes everything. And that Saul saw a huge insurmountable enemy, and he saw a very little God, all right? That he couldn't see God's power in the situation, but rather he saw the enemy's presence. Now we step in and David steps into the narrative and what does he do? 
He's got his eyes, and y'all, I'm going to stare at this bright light that blinds me on a weekly basis. Um, my son Sebastian runs the lights, and he's done a great job. It's not as bright as it usually is. But what did David see? David was in relationship with the most powerful being, the one that put the earth, the moon, the sun, the moon, the stars all into its being, the sovereign God of the universe, one that is faithful, the one that his word says he won't leave his people uh, to, to go without him. He won't, hurt, he won't leave his people in the trenches. And David's looking at this God, all right? He's focused on this God. And see, here's the thing. When we focus on God, not the problem, God changes our perspective. Amen? That God is the sovereign God of the universe. When we focus on God, not the problem, God changes our perspective. And that in the light of eternity, that Goliath begins to shrink. Amen? I'm as guilty as anybody in here. I'm as guilty as anybody in here. I know when I get in a funk, when I'm in a bad place, it's not that anything's changed. It's just that my perspective has gotten bad. That as I'm spending time with the Lord, that I'm learning more about him, that I'm letting him continue to change my heart and I'm focused on the Lord, these problems tend to find the places they were meant to be. And that's out of the way, not in my path with God. But see, here's the thing. When I'm away from God and I'm not in a good place with God, what do my eyes begin to do? They begin to go down. They begin to focus on the Goliaths in my life. They begin to focus on the problems. And the problems seem huge and God seems absent. But the reality is God hasn't changed all right? Our perspectives change. You see where I'm going with this? It's the, it's the reality that God wants us to focus on him. See, David's eyes were set on God so much more than the enemy. And see, so once that happens, we're freed up to live a proactive life for God, not a reactive life to the, to the enemy. Hear that again. We are freed up to live a proactive life for God, not a reactive life to the enemy. I want you to take these three things with you. Focusing on appearances rather than the Lord's power, just like Saul. If we focus on uh, the appearance rather than God's power, this is what happens. Number one is this, it magnifies the problem. It magnifies the problem. And that when you stare at Goliath, Goliath gets big. Amen? When you stare at Goliath, when you stare at that, that thing in your life, when it becomes your focus that I can't fix it, when your eyes are focused on it, it magnifies the problem. The second thing it does is this, is it crushes our faith. It absolutely crushes faith in our life. That it, there's an absence of faith because we're focused on the problem, all right? That there's no uh, 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 looking at God, but we're looking at the problem. And the last thing is this, it produces paralyzing fear. It produces paralyzing fear, all right? You see how perspective changes everything? You see how the, the, someone walked into the narrative and they looked at God, not at the problem? And some of you today, I believe this with all my heart, that that's what God's doing. That's why you're here today, is that God wants to change your perspective, that you've never looked at God first. We've never looked at God for the answers that we've just been staring at the problems. When you wake up and you, you look at Goliath, that becomes defeat, that life of defeat, that thing that we can never get over it. That's what it becomes, right? Last thing, I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel 16. I want you to look at verse 7. I'm going to ask the band to come out as we get ready to finish in song. I want to tell you something. I want to finish with this is that I know that you've come in here all over the map, that there are 
all sorts of things you've, you've dealt with, all sorts of things you, you struggle with, and you see yourself as one of two things, as maybe I've got it all together and I'm good, or maybe it's just the opposite of that. Man, my life is in shambles. Pastor, if you really knew me, if you really knew who I was, you, you, would, you would run, all right? You would run. But here's the third point, the third thing I want you to see is we have to know how God sees us. I want you to hear this and hear it good. If you've been tuning me out, been just chilling a little bit, I want you to hear this and hear it good, okay? We have to know how God sees us. 1 Samuel 16, as, as Saul is getting ready, I'm sorry, Samuel is getting ready to anoint David as king, basically what's happening in this text is that uh, Samuel is like, listen, surely you're not going to anoint David. He's like 16, he's small, he's small in appearance. Uh, you, why would you do that? Why would, why would you choose David? And then God says, this is why I would choose David, and this is how I see David. Okay, verse six, chapter 16, verse 7. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. Do not even consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. All right, hear that again. The Lord does not see. If you walked in here and you know uh, that the Lord is, has seen what you've made a mess of, that this life has been difficulty, that it's been struggle, it says the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Hear that again. The Lord looks at the heart. And this is, this is good news. Amen? I'm glad that the Lord doesn't judge me by my appearance, that the Lord doesn't judge me by my, my fallacies, my problems, my issues, but rather when the Lord sees me, he looks into my heart. He looks into my heart. And he says, I, I, I don't care about all this stuff. At the end of the day, I want, to, I want you, just like that little girl, maybe some of you, you've been swimming in a pool by yourself your whole life. And God is looking into your heart now and it says this, I want to change your heart. All the stuff, all the appearances, I'll do that. You don't have to do that. I want your heart. I want your heart. I don't look at those things. So maybe you're here today and you know that your appearances, that, that you, you, you haven't measured up, that you've walked in here and this life has been not good. God says, I'll start with your heart. I want your heart. And now on the flip side, Maybe some of you have come in here today, and man, it looks good on the outside. Good education, good job, right, right situation. I, I measure up in, in man's eyes, like I've got all the, you know it, the, the house, the, the, all that stuff, I've got it. But see, here's the thing, this, this text is just as true to you and to us, because here's the deal, before Christ met me, I had all, I had all this, I had all this. In fact, they just said, that's a good Christian man. He, he, he doesn't cheat. He doesn't do this stuff. But here's the reality is God doesn't care about that either. Y'all know that? God wants your heart. And see, once he gets your heart, everything's going to change. And that the focus won't be on the appearances anymore. The focus will be on God. That our, our eyes will be on that light. And that, man, this God that saved me, that's changed my heart, that's the God I'm after, not the appearances anymore. Because those appearances can be Goliaths in our life. So today, I don't know who this was for, what this message was for today, but I know it's freedom to know that the God of the universe wants your heart and that he is sovereign and he's good. He's faithful to save you exactly where you are. But to see that, you have to see yourself as God sees you. Bow your heads with me. Father, 
as we get ready to close, God, I know you're moving in this place, God. I, I, I thank you for your faithfulness to bring the word of God to us today. God, I just pray for every heart, every person uh, in this place. God, I pray right now that you would just do what only you can do. And I want to give an invitation. If anyone knows your heart's beating 100 miles an hour and you know it's your day, you know it's God's wanting to jump in the pool after you, that he wants your heart. If you know that today is your day, that it's real, that it's in your heart, I'm just going to ask you a real simple question. Would you just lift your hand? Is that anybody here today? Today's the day God is speaking to your heart, that it's real. Let me give you a second. Amen. Amen. I'm give you another second. God's moving in this place. Father, thank you for the day. God, I pray that we would just help us uh, see ourselves and see our our circumstances like you see us, Lord, and as you see them. God, I pray you move in our hearts in a powerful way. God, thank you for worship today. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to share the word of God. God, I pray you move in this place in a powerful way, Lord. We love you in thy name.